Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to MedHeads. Today, we have our regular guest, Chrissy. How are you? Thank you, Fergal. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So the last episode, we talked about your vulnerabilities to alcohol. And today I'd like to talk about your first drink and what it meant for you. How do you feel about that? Um, okay. Um, my first drink. Um, I remember it really clearly. Uh, it was, uh, I was living in Brisbane. I was 14 years old and, um, my auntie threw a party for one of my cousins who was probably turning 18 and um, looking back my auntie was quite a chronic alcoholic I didn't realize that at the time but um, yeah she threw a party and I brought along a 375 ml of Bundaberg rum which is what you drink in Brisbane mm -hmm. and I remember she and my cousin saying that you need to mix that with coca-cola and um, and I do have a clear memory uh, of saying thank you for your concern but um, but I'll be fine and uh, I really wanted to experience I guess drinking this substance um, without it being watered down having no idea exactly what it did or what it might do but yeah predicting that it was going to take me somewhere <laughs> uh, other so than where I where it was. You'd never had an alcoholic drink ever before? Never touched it, never, never touched, touched it. it. And what made you decide that that was the time that you were going to touch it for the first time? Look, I think probably just opportunity. Um, you know, I was 14, so I wasn't, I mean, I've got a 13-year-old daughter and, <clears throat> you know, she's not going to be drinking at the age of 14 in our house, I can assure you. So, you know, okay. it was probably opportunity. Um, yeah, having a, a place where I could obviously, yeah, had access to it, wasn't going to be really monitored too much. Um, and wanting to, I guess, just fit in with, um, I mean, the crowd would have been older, you know, my cousins were older. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I, I'm, I would say opportunity knocked. <laughs> um, right. As to, as to but you seem about to have, it. You seem to have made that decision that it was going to be Bundaberg and it was going to be 375 mils of it. Mm -hmm. Not just like a sip. And it wasn't going to be mixed with Coke. It wasn't going to be a sip of Coke and rum. No. It was going to be neat. I mean, that that to me is is interesting. Any ideas why that why why you went through that thinking? I, it's look. I maybe I'd seen it. Maybe I had. Maybe I did know that. I mean, I had never experienced the effects of alcohol, but I imagine I would have, you know, seen movies or watched television shows where. Um, I, people would have been inebriated. Um, I knew that, uh, look, and I'd watched my mum drink. I, she's not an alcoholic, but I'd watched her drink lots, like she used to carry around the cardboard handbag, the old cast of wine. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I knew that it had an effect on people and probably for a lot of people quite a jovial, happy, good time effect. Um, unfortunately, that just wasn't the case for me. But, yeah, mm. so... I knew that alcohol changed people's mm. state of mind, I suppose, or changed their reality. Um, mm. I don't know if that was sort of, yeah, a learned thing or innate or, you know, but um, 
yeah, I, I knew that it was going to do something, just wasn't sure exactly what. Um, and I was desperately wanting not just not just to have fun, but to feel some some sort of sense of hope or happiness or, you know, um, yeah, I can't really describe it. I just knew that I didn't want to be in this head that was so busy and so um, just these really, really self-deprecating um, thoughts that were really difficult to, you know, to, to cope with all day, every day. It was just this constant barrage of like, you're not good enough, you're crap, like you're, you know, I can't believe you did that, Chrissy, or you're so embarrassing, or gosh, you're cringeful, or what an idiot, you know, just absolute um, barrage. And I hoped that it would quieten that voice, and it did. <laughs> so tell me what happened to you on your first encounter with alcohol. So my first encounter, um, I drank it straight. I remember it burning my throat. So I would have a glass of water. I didn't know that that actually <laughs> would water it down, but that would like cool my throat. And then I'd just drink, like skull another glass. I hated the flavour. I remember like almost gagging on it, but I didn't drink for the taste. I drank for the effect. And um, and I remember wearing like 18 whole Doc Martens and looking down at these Doc Martens because I always tried to have some sort of image. To, if these particular cousins were kind of, um, you know, skinheads, so I tried to fit in and I got the shoes and what have you. Anyway, and I remember looking down at these boots and the whole world just starting to spin and I probably fell backwards off the I don't know and I woke up the next morning and I literally thought that was awesome. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> I don't. So yeah. you didn't have a hangover? You didn't get sick? I did not have a hangover at all. I got sick that night, um, Do apparently. Do you remember that? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't remember that at all. So I blacked out the very first time I ever drank. And, um, you know, interestingly, throughout my entire teens, I, you know, I could never, um, I've said in the past, I, I could never sort of predict how much I was going to drink. It was always too much. So in my teens, I would find that I'd end up, overshooting the mark and probably being sick that night, which is a bit gross, but that was the reality. And then by my 20s, I um, I used to be able to hold it down for, you know, whatever, 12, 14 hours. I'd go for really long stretches of drinking, but then I'd spend 12 hours the next day being incredibly ill and being sick and just couldn't move. And then by my 30s, I didn't throw up at all. And I thought finally I'd, you know, I'd adjusted, <laughs> like mm -hmm. I'd, I'd matured. You've got um, this. I've got this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. So you you um, you had this pattern of drinking of always overshooting the mark, yeah. Mm -hmm. Why why was that? Do you reckon? <clears throat> um. Look, at the time, I would have told you that I just liked to have a good time, you know, mm -hmm. and like to have fun. Um, and I I know that that's not a lot of people's idea of fun, but in, in the end, I probably just so desperate for um, any identity that maybe I just took that on as like, well, that's that's who I am. I mean, people didn't know me as being a very big drinker. And when it was a bit more socially acceptable when I was younger, um, that was kind of fun. That was my, you know, I wore it a bit as a label or a badge or just something to, some identity to grab onto, which is sadly enough, <laughs> that's the one I, you know. Um, what identity I did that give you? Did it give you the identity of being an alcoholic or a drunk? Or was no, it cool? I, well, yeah, definitely it was 
towards the cooler side. I called myself an alcoholic for a long time. My mum called me an alcoholic from maybe age 15 or 16. Um, mm. So, you know, but I, um, of course, I didn't think I really was. I thought that she was just wanting me to stop drinking or, you know. Um, but, yeah, she said that mm. I drank the way that my dad drank and she said I, I drank in a, you know, even more frightening manner than my dad. Um, mm. So... Yeah, um, I didn't, look, I didn't like, in the end, like as in 20s, 30s, that kind of thing, when I'd get like a lot of heat from other people about stopping drinking, I'd, you know, or that you drink too much, in the end I was quite open, you know, and said, yeah, I know I'm an alcoholic, um, in order to essentially shut them up. I didn't want to have to talk about it anymore. If I, if I admit that I'm an alcoholic, then maybe uh, there's nowhere to go, you know, unless I want to make a change whereas um I think I found when I argued the point we just you know it, it just felt like an attack so I'd, I'd surrender and just go yep I am but deep down I actually didn't I didn't think I was mm. <laughs> I thought so, I didn't know what an alcoholic was actually so yeah sorry going back to your point the reason now I think with a bit more I guess knowledge around the situation and a bit more when I say education, it's not education of the university variety, but it's education of, you know, people who've gone before me. Um, I know now that something that I have a different physiological reaction to alcohol. So um, and I'm very, very open and happy to admit that it's the first drink, the first sip that gets me drunk, not, a, you know, because I can't stop. It's not the, it's not the 30th drink. So Same. for me, that's why abstinence is... An absolute mm. must. So one's too many and a hundred's not enough. Yeah, so absolutely. at what age were you when you started developing hangovers? Um, oh, that's a good question. Like I used to, I was, I was, I used to go out on a Thursday night when I was in year 12 because I had fake ID and I'd turn up to exams after a big night and I'd actually do, I don't know how, I'm not kidding, but I'd do pretty well in the exams. So I don't think I used to get hangovers then. I would say, um, you know, late teens, early 20s. Right. And what age were you when you started drinking every day? Every day. Mm. That was quite a bit later, to be honest. Mm. Like um, that wouldn't have been, you know, oh gosh, until my late twenties, if not thirties, yeah. Yeah, yeah, possibly even thirties. Um, mm. yeah. yeah. So your first drink started at fourteen, and you took to that like a duck to water, mm. and you continued binge drinking, and then that transformed into daily drinking in your thirties. For you to have enjoyed that and gone wow. And for you to have continued binge drinking, there must have been a reward for you. And we've touched on the first idea of the reward, that it gave you the identity of being a cool, you know. And then, and then you accepted the label of alcoholic initially as a joke. There must have been other rewards, though. What, what else did it do for you that, that, uh, that kind of con that perpetuated your, your binge drinking at that time? I think, honestly, um, I used to get this feeling around about the third drink in, <laughs> um, you know, give or take, um, where I could just sigh relief and just stop 
worrying. You know, I, I really was, I really was a worrier. Um, <clears throat> it was, as I said before, tiring up in this head of mine. You know, um, I would have, I'd harbour a lot of sort of guilt and shame and remorse and, you know, just from either the previous drinking session or the, you know, the previous years or, you know, I'd look at opportunities missed or I'd look at the way I might have treated somebody and it was a way of escaping having to deal with those thoughts or the cringeworthy acts, you know, or um, I just, I really feel it was just an escape from, there was also a sadness, there was, you know, I spoke of it, this, um, of hole in the soul there really was a spiritual a spiritual sickness there was a there was just a real sadness that I can't put into words um that I honestly feel that I was feeling when I filled it with alcohol and occasionally substances whatever it was you know I didn't have to worry about I didn't have to think about the sadness I mean I, I I'm generally believe it or not and certainly now like a pretty you know, feel good, positive, happy person, you know, I don't want to look back on my life and sit in the kind of negativity and the just the morbid thoughts that I used to um, sit in. It was it was sad. I didn't, yeah, it, I really didn't enjoy it. So, so my drinking took me away from that. I, it definitely um, psychologically took me out of, yeah, where, where I'd been. And, and I was really shy, really, um, I didn't think for a moment that I was remotely interesting enough without alcohol, um, you know, I just, I guess if I look back on it, when I came out of childhood with, with mum, with, with moving away and then, you know, wanting to go and live with dad and dad not wanting a bar of us and all this sort of stuff, I started to tell myself that, um, and it makes sense now as an adult, but I would have told myself that I'm not, likable or lovable enough as is so I have to change I have to improve I have to be a better version of me because whoever I am at the moment is not lovable you know um and yeah alcohol I think for a long time made me feel like yeah that I was or if I wasn't that I didn't care yeah so really this this underlying vulnerability that we've talked about in the previous episodes created a deep sense of insecurity mm. and worry and anxiety and the hole in the soul and you find alcohol as your self-medication, your relief, your release from this. Is that yeah. right? That's absolutely how how mm. I see it today. Um, yeah, it really is. I think, you know, as like anyone, if I'm taken away from alcohol for long enough, um, you know the physical need for it or and what have you is taken away but eventually it's my thought processes and um what I yeah it's my thought processes that will send me back to a drink so that's Mm. where my recovery has really come in to play where it's given me a different way of thinking and Mm. um brought about some really revolutionary changes so hmm. so Tell me how it changed you in those early years. Your alcohol, drinking? your binging. Yeah, yeah. How did your binging change you? 
in a good way, you mean, or a bad way, or well, both? Both, both. Tell me both. Okay, so when I was actually drinking and being social, it changed me in that, uh, you know, I think we all know it, we lower our inhibitions. I, um, I became a lot less introverted, um, probably a lot more impulsive and spontaneous, which I thought was interesting. Um, mm. But I also have that nature, I guess, a little naturally, So, which is probably one of my problems. But, um, you know, I mean, now I'll stop and think about consequences. When I was younger, none. You know, even if I knew that they could be quite serious, um, you know, I, yeah. So um, it changed me, I think, into just I really honestly thought that I was a more interesting person. A lot of it, you, t you hit the nail on the head before, it was that insecurity of just not really being enough um, on my own or as mm. as is. Um, mm. You know, I'm not, I'm not like an overly extroverted person, which is, you know, today I know there's nothing wrong with that, um, but mm. I didn't know that back then. And, in fact, you know, I can talk like I'm talking to you today, but when I was younger, I could not. I really couldn't. I didn't have much of a voice at all. I would walk out of social situations. I could have been in a social situation for two hours and not said a word, like just being too scared to say anything for fear of, I don't know, saying the wrong thing or whatever. And then I'd walk away just kicking myself. Um, yeah, and so it changed that. It really gave me, I used to just like it, I mean, I won't, I won't use a swear word, but I'd just get to the stuff it level. Like when I was three or four drinks in, I'd just go, ah, stuff it. And that would be comfortable, you know. Yeah. Um, so I loved that. And if I could have stopped at three or four drinks every night, <laughs> then, then I probably would, then I'd probably still be doing it. But, huh. you know, I've come to learn it's progressive and, yeah, hmm. for me it so, got worse. That that those were the, the good effects that you experienced because of it. It relieved your mm -hmm. inner tension, your anxiety. It you know made you more spontaneous. Mm -hmm. When did you start noticing the bad effects of, of your binging? And what uh, and what happened? Okay, so I would notice the bad effects. Um, well, uh, yeah, somewhere in my early twenties, massive hangovers, like horrendous. Um, I was always taking time off work. I mean, I was—I tried so hard to be a good worker, but Mondays were not ideal for me or for my employer. <laughs> like, they really weren't. It's just like yes, I don't like Mondays. Um, Who sang that yeah. song? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, Gelder, um, yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so that they were hard, you know. Um, and as I said, the physical illness um, or sickness like that I'd have, I would get myself into, I don't know, relationships that I wasn't overly, um, I just, yeah, how do I put it? Um, I just made really bad choices. I made really bad choices, you know, and, and I could see mm. that my life was kind of quickly spiralling Um I put myself in dangerous situations. I would, because I was often a blackout drinker, especially when I was out and about, um, 
you know, I'd wake up on beaches. Like I did a lot of my drinking, which I hate saying that, but I did a lot of my drinking on the Mornington Peninsula. Like, you know, there's a big long stretch of beach, like it goes for a long, long time. Mm. And I'd wake up the next day thinking, I wonder what suburb I'm in. <laughs> like, I wonder what beach this is. Um, but, you know, all jokes aside, it was dangerous. So, um, yeah, I, I began to have those consequences. And I, and I knew, I knew that um, physically that eventually the game was going to be up. I mean, you know, uh, it was, I knew it was my thinking that wanted to keep drinking but that my body, you know, there was no way it was going to hold out um, with that kind of level of drinking and that did worry me. I had, did have a bit of a, you know, nursing background from a couple of years of uni and I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't a good idea um, and, yeah, so... When I met my husband in my early 20s, he was probably the first person aside from my mum to say, you really don't drink in a normal fashion. <laughs> you know, you like when you drink, but something different, uh, something different, yeah, happens. Oh, and the personality change. Like a lot of drinkers, uh, even if they're heavy drinkers or whatever, um, you know, my husband can sometimes, like, you know, have a bit too much or whatever, but his personality doesn't change and my personality used to change you know and uh sometimes well sometimes I could get really really angry Mm. um like screaming kind of angry embarrassingly enough like it's you know I mean god forbid I'd ever hear like um a recording it'd just be anyway um this would often be like I'd I'd have no memory of it. I'd wake up the next morning and I'd know that I'd probably yeah um, not been not been terrific the night before. But um, so those sorts of things would happen. I would swear and just be horrendous and and um, basically belittle other people. I think all of the um, the underlying insecurities that I sat with daily, like subconsciously, all of that would come up. And you were going to, you know, you were going to hear um, exactly what I'd been wanting to say for, I don't know, a week, a month, a year or whatever. And, and it was just, it really wasn't nice. Um, so because I never had this voice, I wanted to talk or I wanted to say that I'm not okay or, you know, um, when I was sober, I couldn't. And it would just come out sideways when I was drunk. <laughs> um, so advantage your anger when mm. you're in a turmoil. Mm. Yeah, and you, I think. Sorry, go sorry. on. After you. Well, I was just going to say, I think that because I always felt so like less than, I wouldn't say it to anyone, but I did have this feeling of just less than, not as good as. Mm. So I would, like my husband would say, "You tell me I'm this, you tell me I'm that," and I just think, "Oh my gosh!" Like all of these things that I actually worry myself about, like throughout the day I'm calling other people like useless and loser and you know stupid and oh, just mm. awful things um and so you know I mean I could see that there must be some sort of psychology behind this and these underlying layers of just yeah would come up but I essentially called him and anyone who was within hearing listening distance um I called them what I thought of myself all day that makes all sense right. mm. But you've mentioned before that it changed your personality, and I've, I've I've also heard you talk about the chameleon. What does the chameleon mean for you? Just meaning that I could absolutely um, become 
become anyone, well, I thought I could become um, anyone you either, not well, you wanted me to be or that would suit the situation. So um, I just, instead of being myself and being able to be different in a situation, I thought that I had to blend and had to, I guess, adjust and fit in. Whereas, you know, today I, I wouldn't see that so much, but I do remember thinking um, I just I just want to just fit, <laughs> you know. Mm. I just I don't want to stand out. I mm. don't want to be ignored. Blend in like a chameleon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Um, so when did you realise that it was really a problem? You know, what, what, was, what happened to you at that point? When was the first realisation that it all was not good in the kingdom of Denmark? <laughs> I think um, I think probably um, once we'd had our, um, my husband and I had our first child, um, which, um, so I was able to stop drinking um, and stop smoking cigarettes for two pregnancies. Um, mm. So once we had our first child, Ella came along in 2007 and um, and I guess I had put a lot of eggs into one basket when it came to my suspected alcoholism and I really thought that once I had, you know, family, particularly children, uh, and once I had, a, I guess, it sounds corny, but a real reason to live because throughout all of this, by the way, I'd also been at times quite suicidal. So, you know, mm. I also had a mental illness to be dealing with as well. So yeah, I thought that by having children, I'll I'll uh, grow up in terms of my drinking, and I'll want to live for other people. You know, like I'm going to adore my children enough to absolutely want to be on this planet. There won't be a question, and I won't have to have those thoughts ruminate anymore about is it worth it? You know. Mm. So nice. that's when I knew. Sorry, so. So I knew that once I'd had Ella and when I went back to drinking and it was actually worse pretty quickly than it had ever been, that's when it was actually to daily because opportunity knocked and, you know, I'm at home full-time, at full-time you know, mum and um, husband's at work. I'm stressed out of my head because I'm just completely neurotic anyway and, um, and I just would look at the clock and just think, oh, my gosh, when, what time can I have a drink and just de-stress, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was after having my first child that I realised that this actually, yeah, hasn't gone away. Um, in fact, it's progressed and got worse. And uh, our, our, my, our solution to that was to get pregnant again, uh, seriously, and I honestly thought that, if I just have one more shot at it, like it'll be different this time and, you know, I won't, um, you know, I'll stop drinking for the nine, 12 months, whatever it is, it ends up taking again and and this time when I go back, I'll be, I'll be really good, you know. Mm. So you've alluded to, you know, your mental health issues. I think it's important to highlight that, that you know, in my experience at least, mental illness is very common. Uh, it's very commonly associated with substance use disorders, such as um, alcoholism. So, what was the relationship between alcohol and your mental health, as far as you could see? Um, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure without realizing it. Um, okay, so. 
I mean, I know today that I'm sort of clinically depressed as opposed to just substance use, you know. Um, I, I think I'm not, I, you would know as a doctor, I suppose, that for some people maybe you take away the substance use um, and their mental health improves a lot. Mm. Um, and if not, you know, and they're not diagnosed with any mental illness, I don't know. But And then some, you take away the substance and there's still, you know, residual like mental illness and so I um, am most definitely I guess um, depressed or I'm not today but if without medication Mm. I suffer with depression and Mm. I have tried to come off medication a number of times um, and I've got all these books you know like yeah medication free and um, recovery medication free and da 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 Um, and I've tried all the natural ways and I've I've I run, I exercise, I drink heaps, I do everything I can. Um, and the three times I've come off um, my antidepressant, all three times I've been in serious trouble. And um, I didn't even, I mean, I've thought about picking up a drink uh, just to escape the depressive thoughts. But more than that, I've just thought about wanting to end it. So, you know, mm. I, I cannot, I've talked to my doctor quite um, we've had a really open discussion around the fact that if I ever get this bright idea that I want to come off my medication again, can somebody please intervene? Like, you know, because <laughs> you know, like, it's really dangerous. Like, I cannot no. do it. Um, oh. And I like, so in terms of how did it interact with alcoholism, I don't know, it certainly wasn't made any better. I'm sure, you know, mm. I'm sure those depressive thoughts the next day, like when I was hungover, were made worse by alcohol. But at the same time, you know, from uh, I've said before, I really don't think without alcohol or a substance I would have made it to this age because by at 14 I, I didn't go into it but I was self-harming. I wasn't planning on being, you know, like it, it's, it's so corny but I wasn't here for a long time. I was definitely here for a good time and if I wasn't going to have a good mm. time I was out of here and that was my... So I think alcohol um, kept me alive for a while. But it had a downside. Yeah, in the end, absolutely. Yeah. And we'll have to talk about that downside in the next episode. Chrissy, unfortunately we've run out of time, but I want to thank you so much for sharing with us your story, and I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks, Fergal. <laughs> That's it for today's MedHeads. My name's Dr. Fergal Armstrong. We'll see you next time.